thank you for joining us for this broadcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our broadcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. It feels too like some of these when I was making it with these checklists and these reading schedules reminded me of school. And I, I, I wasn't a big school guy. I was a good student. Uh, school didn't come easy to me, so I had to learn to study from a young age. I had parents who were very adamant that I do well in school, which I was happy to have those parents. And uh, I would have to make note cards. And, um, and note cards didn't help me because of using them after. They helped me because I was writing the information down. That's how I learned, by writing things down and by doing stuff, and uh, not necessarily by reading. But, uh, and, but I made those note cards so I could write them down, and then I could refresh my memory over time. And uh, I can remember countless and countless nights of saying, okay, I've done studying. I am ready to take the test tomorrow. And my dad would say, okay, hand me your, hand me your notes. I'm like, no, 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 I've studied. He goes, hand me your notes. And I would hand him my notes. He goes, sit down. And he would quiz me, or hand me your book, and he would quiz me. And oftentimes, he would say, nope, you don't know enough. Go back and study more. It was miserable. And, uh, but over time, I learned how to study, which prepared me for college, and, uh, because I was able to study and do well because of those habits and those tools I had learned. And they really helped, except in one class. So I, I, was, uh, I love history, and uh, not as much as some people. History was a fun subject. If I'm not, if I'm doing gen eds and regular core courses, history, I would pick over math, over science every day. But I remember when I was in high school, I was attempting to get an AP class. You have to pass an AP test. And I didn't end up doing that because those tests are really, really hard. And um, I got my freshman year and Bible students need one history course. I said, well, I just, I just took American history I don't want to retake that class. I want one that I'll never have an opportunity to, to hear again. Foolish decision. I took Western civilization. I don't know what I was thinking. I don't know what I was doing, but I took Western civilization. And um, the teacher, and this, these are, this will make sense as we talk about these tests. Can you pass these three questions? Because these three questions I'll ask aren't this hard, I promise. They seem hard. They'll be challenging, but they're not as hard as... Greg Massey's tests. Uh, I loathed those tests. He even told us at the beginning of the semester, here's how I do my tests. He goes, all of my questions will have, choose all of the correct answers. And there will be like A, B, C, D, E. One of them could be correct. Two of them could be correct. Three of them, could, all of them could be correct. None of them could be correct. And if you circle two, you don't get, you don't get all the credit. It was the worst tests I've ever taken in my entire life. Because I'll be like, okay. You had to like examine every single question closely. My dad had a similar uh, teacher at Harding. It was choose the most correct answer. Now see, that's just not fair. But the good news is God isn't about trick questions. I call those trick questions. God's not about, let me see if I can trick you into missing a question. That's why I like essay questions. Because I can tell you what I know. Multiple choice questions is what I don't know. But God is all about challenging us to have a closer relationship with him. And I got this idea from 2 Corinthians. If you want to go ahead and turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 13, we were studying um, 
spiritual disciplines in our Wednesday class with our teenagers, and we're talking about all of these disciplines and training ourselves and becoming more like Jesus and being able to be transformed to not just look, but to become more like Jesus. And we were looking at confession, the spiritual discipline of confession Wednesday. And we looked at this passage very briefly, and I want to unpack it more. But Paul, toward the end of his letter to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 13, he says in verse 5, Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test. So he's saying, examine yourselves, test yourselves. One of the hardest things we can do is to be honest with ourselves. And part of our class with confession was learning the ability to examine ourselves so we can prepare to confess, so we can, so we can prepare to become more like Jesus. But today I want to focus in on what that examination has to look like. What it's going to look like, what it means to test yourselves. Because like I said, it's not a Greg Massey test. And Greg Massey will never listen to this sermon, but if you're out there, um, I still appreciate you as a brother in Christ. Your tests were miserable. But God isn't about miserable tests, but he is about challenging tests. And Paul is saying, I need you to test yourself. Now remember, Paul had to prove himself over and over and over again that I'm a disciple. I'm an apostle. And to, to everyone he really encountered, to, to the Gentiles, they were saying, no, we, we, we know who you are, and you're not one of us. To, the, to the, those who were believing, the Christians, he says, no, we know who you were. You are going around killing us. To the Pharisees, the Jews he was trying to, to convert, they were saying what? No, we remember you as a Pharisee. We know who you really are. But now you're just lost because you're no longer, you've left our faith. So he had to constantly prove who he was. And he's all, he's challenged him on, on one surface to say, Hey, now prove who you are. But he's also saying, be honest with yourselves. The Corinth church was very messed up. You can see that in first and second Corinthians. They were very corrupt, but they really weren't any different than the world we live in today. They were full of sexual immorality. They were full of greed. They were full of murder. They were full of false idolatry, which we have in different ways. But they were so full of just sin that he was always challenging them to say, you need to live faithfully. You need to live and walk as Jesus would. So examine yourselves to see if you are in the faith. So the first question, uh, slide please, is, is Jesus in you. What does that really mean? Is Jesus in you? Because he's saying, this. For the, that's really the, the only other question he asks. He says, do you not realize that Jesus is in you? And then he kind of stops. It's one of those kind of subtle jabs. He says, well, unless you don't pass the test. Just, is Jesus, he's asking them, is Jesus in you? Examine yourself. See, it's so easy. Ooh, that was weird. It's so easy for us to to live the way we want to live. It's so easy for us to say, I want to live my way. I like doing the things that I like to do. No one can tell me what I can't do. It's easy for us to get pulled in by the world, all those temptations to say, kind of that dangling, the, um, the, you've seen the old Geico commercial with the, the dollar bill on the, on the fishing pole, and uh, you got to be faster than that. The world's dangling all those things in front of us, saying, you know you want this. And it's so easy to give in to those things and for us to leave our life of Christ behind. 
It's so easy for us to give in to our fleshly desires. Paul talks about that in Galatians. But John reminds us a little bit even so, even more so about walking in the light. In 1 John 1, he says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, being Jesus, right? We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. So many things to unpack there, but he's saying we have to be walking in the light. It can't be walking in our way. It can't be walking in darkness. It can't be walking in the world. It can't be walking in our own foolish way. You know, the blind can't lead the blind. We have to be walking as we can see. You know, um, Psalms tells us what God's word, you know, thy word is a lamp to my feet so I can see where I'm walking. We have to walk in the light, walk in the way of the cross, walk in the way of the word. But he also says, if we do that, what happens? We have fellowship with one another. We can be united if we walk in the light. But what does that really mean? I can, we can say all day long, well, walk in the light, walk in the light. Well, John also said just a few moments later in 1 John 2, verse 6, whoever says he abides in him, which backing up, if we walk in the light as he is in the light. So whoever says he's walking in the light as he is, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Are you walking like Jesus? Obviously, we're not talking about physical walking. He's saying, are you living a life that reflects Jesus? That's a hard question. It's not a trick question. It's not one of these Greg Massey questions. It's a challenging question. He's saying, reflect on yourself. See, it all comes down to what Paul said in Galatians. Galatians 2, verse 20, we sing this song to help us memorize this passage. But it really comes down to being crucified with Christ. Paul says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, Paul says, I don't live the way I want to live anymore. I don't live and say, I really want to do this way, so I'm going to do whatever I want to do. He says, no, I now live by, by faith. I let Christ live through me. Is Jesus in you? See, all these things lead up to this culminating question. Is, are we walking in a way that's worthy of the calling? Paul said in Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians 4, he says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, he, I plead with you, I beg you, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He says, be honorable. You've been called to walk like Jesus, then do that. Don't say you are and do something else. He says, walk in a, in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all, and then he starts giving us how to do that. Humility, with gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. It's not always easy to be around each other, but we have to love each other, be patient with each other. Then he says, eager to maintain what? The unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's really hard. See, that's what Jesus did his whole life. He was walking in love. Now, sometimes that causes conflict, but he didn't set out to to tear down. He set up to build up. He set up to build the church, to build up his father, to encourage each other, to say, live like me. He came to serve. He came to die so we could have life. It's Jesus in you. See, of course, if we go to this next slide, we have to ask this really next hard question. 
But it's one of those questions where we have to say, this life that I'm living has to be a daily life. It's not just the one-time decision I made, and now I can live however I want to live. I made that choice at baptism that I was going to live for Jesus, and I really meant it, but now I'll live my way because now I have the blood of Christ. So many teach that. So many teach that you can, once you have that salvation, you can never lose it, and that you can do whatever you want in life. And that's really not what we're talking about here. That's not what Paul says. It's not what Jesus says. In fact, Jesus said in Luke 9, he says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. I like that passage more than some of the other parallel passages because Luke is the one that includes the daily. He says, take up your cross daily. It's, a, it's an every single day act. And I wouldn't, and maybe not even act. It's an everyday decision, an everyday commitment. It's a promise, a covenant we've made with the Lord. So the question is, do you still believe? Because living a life of Jesus, walking in the way, walking in the light, walking in a, man, in a manner that's worthy of the calling will come with a lot of struggles. We'll be tempted to, to give in. We'll have trials, things in life that will distract us. We'll have temptations, things in life that'll try to pull us the other way. We'll have persecution that'll try to silence us, that'll try to get us to hide. We'll have hard times. See, nothing's easy about following Jesus. But see, nothing was easy about taking up the cross either. Nothing was easy about carrying the cross. And as hard as it was for Jesus to carry the cross, he says, you have to carry your own cross too. You have to take up your cross daily. And part of that is denying yourself, saying, I'm no longer going to live for myself, as Paul said in Galatians, right? It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And now I'm going to walk by faith. I'm going to walk in a way that's manner of, sorry, worthy of the, <laughs> walk in a manner worthy of the calling. I'm going to walk in those ways. But that means I have to really believe. Not just believe, but then I have to have my faith. See, just saying, oh, that's true is one thing. But do I really believe? Believe enough to change. Believe, believe enough to say, I'm going to do something about it. That's the question. See, it becomes so easy for us to, to lean on ourselves. It becomes so easy for us to lean on our own knowledge. You know, when I was, like I said, studying for, for all those tests, it was, I never really, rarely got a hundred. I, I did, I did well in school. But sometimes it's easy for us to trust our own selves. But see, when it comes to living like Jesus, it's not all about head knowledge. It's not all about, because we're never, we'll never know everything. It, all, it really is all about transformation. Having the head knowledge, having the heart commitment, and having the Spirit guide our lives so that we can be molded to look like Him, and then we can trust in Him to say, I may not understand anything. Because <laughs> there's going to be some things in life that we just, one, either never know or never understand. But we have to say, God, I trust you. This next slide. Who do you trust? Or where is your trust? If it's in the wrong things, our trust will, can be, I guess, diminish. It can fail. If we just trust people, can people let us down? Yeah. I've trusted people. They've let me down. I was, uh, you know, I've, I've had friends who I've trusted who have let me down, who have betrayed me. I've had family members, um, luckily, um, who have always kind of been there. But what's happened? They're human. Have they let me down once or twice? 
Yeah. Because we're imperfect. You know who's never let us down? God. Jesus. But also, maybe you're sitting there and you're like, I just don't trust anyone. All these people have let me down. I'll trust myself and nobody else. Because it's I've gotten to where I've got. I've done all the hard work. Look at where I've gotten, despite of all the people who's let me down. And we start to get that arrogance, that pride. The wisest man to ever live, the richest man to ever live. See, Solomon was blessed when he asked for wisdom. He became so wise, and we could say, I believe very accurately, that he was the wisest man. But he also was blessed with all these riches. And when you really calculate it, he was very wealthy. And we're talking about possibly the wealthiest man to ever live, and we even have people who are multi-multi-billionaires today. And he's sitting here writing the Proverbs, and he's writing Ecclesiastes, and he's saying, listen, I tried to find happiness. I tried to find completeness in everything. See, Ecclesiastes is known for that phrase over and over and over again. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. Saying everything's useless, everything's meaningless. Well, that sounds really depressing until the end when he says, hey, the point of this is, just to live for God, Jesus. Just to live for God. That's what he said, Jesus. He said, live for God. He says, honor God and live for him. And that's the complete, that's the complete, you know, joy you'll get. But over the whole book of Ecclesiastes, he's saying, I tried to find meaning in life and stuff and in people. And all of it didn't mean a thing. In Proverbs, he's writing this wisdom literature. And he says in Proverbs 3, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. This is the wisest man to ever live. This, the man who had all the answers. And he's saying, even I don't understand everything. So maybe he didn't have all the answers. Maybe he wasn't the wisest man to ever live. Because Jesus lived. God was here in the flesh. And he's saying, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't just trust your own understanding. And then in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. It says, again, it's not about you. Where's your trust? If it's in people, they'll let you down. If it's in stuff, they'll fade away. If it's in yourself, you don't know anything. I remember Job, when Job was, well, a lot of times we'll say Job was the most faithful man to ever live, except we ignore all the chapters where he's like, God, you're being unfair, and you're wrong. He never cursed God. He never stopped really believing he was deity. But he was pretty bold in saying, God, I think you're not being just because I've done nothing wrong. See, Job believed, like we do sometimes inaccurately, that bad things happen to bad people and good, and good stuff happens to good, good people. And when you're good, nothing bad is supposed to happen. They believed when they were being punished and all these bad things were happening that it was because of sin. And see, Job's friends kept saying, you must have done something awful because all this bad stuff keeps happening to you. And Job kept saying, I'm innocent. Then he would go to God, God, I'm innocent. Why are you doing this? Job had one friend who even said, you deserve worse. I think I'll stop being friends with that guy. But he says, you deserve worse. Job goes, I'm innocent. And one of those interactions right before God spoke in that whisper, right? Right before, sorry, that was Jeremiah. Sorry, right before God spoke and really chastised Job. Job was saying, again, this is not fair. And then one of the coolest lines was prepare for action. God said, okay, you want an answer? You want to fight? I'm going to give it to you. And then God continues to ask all these questions 
that Job has no idea what they are. He says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the world? Tell me if you have understanding. God's saying, you want, you want this fight? You want answers? You think that I'm being unjust? You think you know more than I do? Let me ask you questions that you can't answer. And after all those questions, Job goes, my bad. I'm not, I can't answer. And God says, nope, here's more questions. And he begins to ask more questions to prove who God is. Say, Job, it's not you who you should be trusting. You know, you, you, can, you can't lean on your own faithfulness. You have to lean on me for strength. Here, Solomon's saying, you can't lean on your own understanding. The, the wisest undeity man to ever live is saying, I have all this wisdom God gave me, and I can't have anything apart from God. See, Solomon knew where his wisdom came from. He knew that God give, had given it to him. And the giver of that wisdom has to have more infinite wisdom than the one who gives it. So he's saying, I need you to understand, to trust in the Lord with all your heart. You see, that's easy to do when good things are happening. That's easy to do when things are going our way. It's really hard to do that, like Job, when things aren't going our way. You see, Psalm 56, which was read to us, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you and God's whose word I shall... This is a different verse, but... What I want to read. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? What an important, important verse. Saying, what can all that stuff really do? Well, you might be thinking, well, I've been through a lot. I've been through a lot of pain, a lot of suffering, a lot of illness. I've been through a lot of persecution. <clears throat> Sorry. I've been through a lot of, of person, you know, maybe uh, conflict with others. Flesh can do a lot to me. But in the grand scheme of things, you can't steal our hope. You can't steal our promise of everlasting life. Saying, I put my trust in you. In God I trust. I shall not be afraid over and over. Where's your trust? And when we have that trust, do you know what it gives us? Gives us peace. Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, 6 through 7, he's listing all these things, and he says, and, and we're coming in the middle of that sentence, but he says, in supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. When we trust in him, and we go to him and give him all our requests, all our concerns. We go to him and say, I completely trust in you. I'm not going to lean on what I think I know. He says, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding. Again, because we can't understand it. Lean not on your own understanding. Trust in him. And we'll have that peace that we can't explain. When people say, how do you have that peace? We can honestly say, I don't know, but I know that God has given it to me. I don't understand how it works. I just know that I have peace because he's who has given me strength. See, these are the three questions. These are the three tests. When Paul's going back to these people and he's saying, I want you to examine yourself to see if you are in the faith. He's saying, is Jesus in you? Do you still believe? And where are you putting your trust? And hopefully we can honestly say, Jesus is living and active in me. 
I'm putting my complete trust in him because I believe in him, because I have faith. This morning, if you're struggling in any way, this morning, if you're saying, I've been through so much, so much suffering. I'm going through this, this storm of life. I just need some encouragement. We're here. We're all, we all struggle together. We all struggle at times. We can do it better together. Solomon said, that when we're together, we're stronger. That cord of, that threefold cord is, is not, is what won't be broken. What a wonderful passage. But if you're here and you're saying, I'm not a child of God just yet. If you haven't been buried in the waters of baptism so you can be raised to walk in newness of life, so you can say, I've put my trust in him. I believe in him fully. And now I'm going to let him live through me. Whatever your need is, please come now while we stand and sing. If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again. And until then, remember, we are a church of Christ caring for its community. Is inspired.